You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. Join Cats with you here Sunday morning. We have a great show for you today. We have Peter King. We have David Patterson on the analysis of what happened in New York with the elections. Dr. Sky, uh, Dick Morris, and Lou Dobbs, a new addition uh, on the economy and on the, uh, on the stock market. Let's start the morning off with Michael Lawler, congressman-elect that beat the poster boy of the Democratic Party, Maloney. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Mike, you you are now the new rock star. You know that, don't you? <laughs> well, it was a it was a great team effort and uh, I appreciate uh, everybody's support. We uh, we had a great victory on Tuesday night, but it really was not about me. It really came down to the fact that voters in my district were extremely dissatisfied with what was going on uh, in our state. Uh, as I've said many times, this is the first time in our nation's history that Democrats controlled everything in Washington, Albany, and New York City all at once. And when you look at the issues, whether it's inflation, whether it's crime, whether it's congestion pricing, whether it's education or energy prices, people were just fed up and they wanted change. And I think, obviously, the redistricting fiasco that took place uh, in New York uh, created an opportunity this year for Republicans and I mean, we picked up four seats and we're going to be sending 11 members to Congress. So it was uh, it was a big win on Tuesday night. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. And uh, you you took out for people that don't know. I mean, somebody has to describe what he did because people don't know. Mm-hmm. You took out the poster boy of the Democratic Party. He was the head of. Uh, well, what was he, Governor Patterson? He was the chair of the Democratic uh, uh, campaign committee. And uh, for, for the House, for, for the House, Sean Patrick Maloney. He was the poster boy. Committee. Well, I mean, th- this is the equivalent. Mike Lawler taking that incumbent out is the same as AOC taking out Crowley, who would have been the next Speaker of the House of Representatives. It does very big, interesting but, comparison. Yeah, but it's a very least, big deal. Yeah, but Sean Patrick Maloney actually campaigned, whereas Crowley didn't, and that's <laughs> yeah. how a, a bartender well, won. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll I'll say this. I mean, he really only campaigned in the final three weeks That's once true. he uh, freaked out and realized that he was about to lose. And then he tried to call in Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, J- Jill Biden, Joe Biden. Um, and it didn't work because uh, voters realized that he was not focused on doing their business, but rather focused on doing the bidding of Nancy Pelosi. I mean, just a month ago, he was traveling to, to Paris and London and Geneva to raise money uh, for Pelosi and, and the Democrats to try and keep them in power. While I was out doing six, seven, eight events a day of barnstorming the district for six months. And I think it paid off dividends, uh, obviously, on Election Day. Well, it's almost a week after the election. Where is New York City, New York State? Where is the country? And uh, with us today is uh, former Congressman uh, Peter uh, King. And uh, tell us what's going on. Yeah, I tell you, election night this year was almost like a tale of two worlds for me. I was in Nassau County at the Nassau headquarters, and the votes were coming in, and there was a red wave. Uh, we took uh, two congressional seats, George Santos and uh, Anthony D'Esposito, 
took two seats that the Democrats have held for over almost a quarter century. And then at the uh, we took three state Senate seats for the Democrats, including Todd Kaminsky's old state. We won that by, I think it was 13,000 votes. I mean, so it was a great, and overall, uh, Lee Zeldin carried Nassau County by over 50,000 votes. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a, a big uh, year. And also Suffolk County, Republicans did very well. But then results coming in from New York City, and it's hard to believe that after all the crime that New York has endured over the last two or three years under Democratic progressive rule, that they would vote to uh, vote for Kathy Hochul, whose policies have kept that crime wave going, on, whether it's bail reform or discovery that prosecutors have to make available to the you know, criminal defendants and the lawyers. It's just uh, beyond me why so many people would have voted the way they did, but they did. And, you know, you and I were discussing before, John, Lee Zeldin, by the way, he started off three million votes behind, and it looks as if he's narrowed it down to 300,000, which is a moral victory. But I'm sure Lee wanted more than a moral victory. But 300,000 uh, uh, votes that he it looks like he lost by, and you and I have discussed more than 300,000 New Yorkers have left to go to states like Florida. And if those people stay here in New York, we may have won. I'm not trying to oversimplify it. What and happened yes. in upstate New York with uh, uh, with Zeldin? I don't know because, boy, if any if anyone in the state, as bad as New York City is a crime, upstate New York, their economy is horrible, and it's a lot of it's because there's no fracking allowed because of democratic policies. And yet, I mean, to me, they should have come out 80 percent and voted against Kathy Hochul and voted for. You know, for Lee Zeldin, and yet they didn't. And all I can think of is that many people, when they see, when they think Republican, they see Donald Trump, and they just feel we're going from one one problem to another. Uh, if, uh, if people were to focus on Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul, I think that, in fact, I'm confident Lee would have won. But when you have such a large character in the party, such as uh, uh, Donald Trump, he became the face of our party in too many places. In the places where he wasn't, you know, Republicans did well. A little bit of national uh, of politics, uh, uh, Congressman yeah. King. I saw Sarah Palin was big in Alaska. What happened there? Yeah, I was a surprise. Uh, I mean, I was not following that race closely, but I know when, when they had, like, the first election in August, they had a special election that was where you can switch your, uh, your voting, you know, the bank choice, you know, whatever they call it up there. And she lost by, like, one, you know, one point or two points. Now she lost by about 25 points. I don't know what happened up there. I don't know what that's about. I've met Sarah Palin. I've known her over the years. I think she would have been a good member of Congress. But maybe she was also too identified with the uh, Trump wing of the party. And also, President Trump created a split on there. He went after the Republican senator, Lisa Murkowski, because she had voted against him in, in the Senate. And uh, the party became divided again in Alaska because of President Trump. So I think, listen, we got to – I don't enjoy saying this. Because he and I, I thought, had a very good relationship. But what's gone on over the last few months and also how many times do people want to hear that he's talking about you know, how he really won the election in 2000 and uh, 2020? That election's over. People don't want to keep hearing him talking about how the election was stolen, the election was robbed. And as a result of that, uh, we, uh, we don't focus on the real issues. Instead of talking about progressive education, how our kids are being brainwashed, we're talking about whether or not he lost votes in Arizona four years ago. We've got a minute left. Anything else you want to tell the uh, American people? Uh, yeah, I want to really congratulate Lee Zelling on, on running a great race. I mean, nobody thought he had a chance. Well, yeah, you and I did, but uh, 
public-wise, he was down by 17, 18 points. He ended up, uh, if he does lose, it's going to be by barely five points. The Democrats had to bring in every bit of heavy artillery from Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, President Biden, the vice president, everybody in to, uh, to, to stop the surge that Lee had started. So he, to me, has a great future in politics. We owe him a lot. I also want to congratulate my new congressman, Anthony Giesposito, for running a great race. And uh, also my former congressman, he's redistricted out, Andrew Garbarino, who was so much criticized last summer when he voted for the infrastructure bill. And he ended up winning by over 20 points in a a district that has tens of thousands more Democrats than Republicans. Thank you, uh, Peter King. And we'll catch up real soon. Yes, John. Thank you. You're listening to a show that isn't about finding Republican or Democratic ideas. It's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is uh, former Governor David Patterson, uh, former New York State uh, Democratic uh, Committee Chair. And David Patterson, what the heck happened? There was no red wave, it doesn't look like. Uh, I mean, the Republicans won a lot of seats. There was a red wave in Florida. There was a red wave in Nassau and Suffolk County. Uh, Give us your analysis. What happened uh, during our uh, New York State elections, New York City, and also a little bit of the national? Well, I was kind of surprised, John, that Michael Goodwin wrote on Wednesday that if a Republican couldn't win in this situation, a Republican could never win in New York. I don't feel that way at all. I thought that um, Congressman Zeldin, he found an issue. He raised the issue. He spoke about it well. He spoke with passion. But what he didn't do was what Governor George Pataki did in 1994, where Governor Pataki, if you go back and watch his old debates with uh, Mario Cuomo, I mean, Mario Cuomo was one of the great debaters. But Governor Pataki looked like a statesman. He talked about bringing people together. He talked about uh, unity. Um, revolutions don't begin with injustice. They begin with hope. The injustice is that crime has spiked and is a real problem around the state. But what Zeldin never did was to stand in front of audiences and act like he was the, the spirit of hope. He acted like he was the spirit of anger. And I think that that really hurt him. In addition, I think he underestimated the issue of the economy. Yes, crime is a serious issue, but the economy was right up there, even ahead among some of his own supporters. So in Suffolk County, uh, where he was supposed to run up the score, he only won 58 to 42. And as soon as I saw Tuesday night that Hochul had gotten 77 percent of the Bronx, 82 percent of Manhattan and 71 percent of Brooklyn, I thought to myself, even though 15% of the vote was in, it's over. You know, me and you live in New York, and uh, we lost, I think, what did we lose? Like 300,000 New Yorkers to Florida, or maybe even Nassau County, who knows, or Suffolk County. Now, they had red waves, and the numbers were drastically different in, in New York. Do you think so many people left that it changed the numbers for the election? Well, I think so many people left, it was going to change the numbers anyway. But I think that responding to to Michael Goodwin, I mean, I was in the state Senate. And at the time I was in the state Senate, the Republicans had run the state Senate for 70 years. But what I realized is that when we ran against them, 
we would always take all the money and divide it up among like 25 candidates. And we'd always lose because they outspent us 10 to 1. So what I did was I started running races in only two or three uh, areas where I really put money into, even though I had all the other candidates out. And that's how that was the beginning of, of changing it. So I think that there's got to be a little creative thinking here because it, it was surprising that uh, the Republicans did not run the score, you know, nationally. But what they did do is to secure uh, the, the power. And, and by doing that, they've created a firewall so that um, the president and, and the Senate and the other House members can't just have their way, which they did for two years. And on the national uh, front, uh, was it somehow the Trump influence that hurt in, cer- in certain ways? I don't think that the antics and the actions of former President Trump played into that situation as much as I think that the Republicans picked some candidates that really were unproven leaving out the health problems of the lieutenant governor in uh, Pennsylvania, he won because uh, Dr. Oz really wasn't a good candidate. He really never really sold to the constituency that he wanted to live and and be among them. Um, Herschel Walker is another candidate they took. Leaving out all the accusations against him, when you hear him speak, I mean, he can barely define what the policies are that he thinks are important. I think that the Republicans have a, a great number of really qualified, dynamic people who've done some incredible things who should be running instead of some of the people that they fielded um, on last Tuesday night. We've got a couple minutes left. What do you think the people should know about uh, the November 8th elections of 2022, because the next step is the big elections of the 2024, the presidential election. Governor Hochul's uh, victory and the failure of the sweeping red wave that I think many of us expected could lull the party into thinking that everything's fine, we can keep spending money, we don't worry about the uh, price of inflation, and... Uh, and, and, and that would be the worst thing that could happen. I think Democrats have got to act like Bill Clinton after the 1994 elections and Barack Obama after the 2010 elections when we got our clocks clean, losing over 60 members of the House in both of those uh, years. It didn't happen this year, but it doesn't assure that President Biden can be reelected in uh, uh, 2024. And I just don't think anybody who's, who's a Democrat should be sleeping easily after, in a sense, dodging a few bullets on November 8th. I agree with you 110%. Uh, Governor David Patterson, thank you for everything you do, helping keep common sense in in politics. Both of us work side by side together, and uh, God bless you, and God bless America. And, John, thanks for being behind me 110%, but I'm going to try hard. I'm trying to get to 120. (laughs) Take care. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. 
Well, it's almost a week after the, the uh, election. And where the heck are we? Well, with us today is uh, Bob Hugan, uh, and he is the elected chairman of the New Jersey Republican State Committee. And uh, also, uh, he's on the uh, Garden State uh, uh, Initiative and of Nonpartisan Research and Educational Organization, uh, which focuses on economic issues in New Jersey. Bob Hugan, we just finished the election. Nobody knows which way our country is going. Give us your evaluation of where the election came out and where do you think our country is going? Thanks for having me on, John. It's an important time for our country. I think examining it from the tri-state perspective is also very helpful. A couple of lessons I take away from the election. First of all, when you look at New York State, where we had fortunately had a judge intervene to say we should have fair maps, New York did a great job of having important congressional victories, including defeating the Democratic campaign, Congressional Campaign Committee Chair, uh, Sean Maloney. And so I think New York did a great job, under-resourced, but uh, Lee Zeldin ran a good race and everybody worked hard and still picked up all those seats in the House, which is really making a difference to move our country in the right direction. You look at New Jersey, on the other hand, we had a very bad gerrymandered situation and despite that very bad map, we picked up one seat on a net basis. Uh, unfortunately, didn't do better than that, but still one is what we had to do. And we delivered that for the, for, the, for, the, for the country and for the National Party. Connecticut, a little bit tougher story there, too. Still, I haven't, seen, I haven't followed the last day or two, the last uh, final recounts. So there's some there. Hopefully, some optimism there, too. But overall, when, when the map is fair, Democrats are a tough problem. We had a president who tried to make the race about democracy and scaring people and running away from his record. And that did allow, give some women some fear, and we lost some women voters, and that hurt us. But overall, I'm a big believer in our country and having a, a Republican majority in the House, and hopefully the, the Georgia runoff will give us a chance to have a control of the, of the United States Senate. Our country is going to do well. We're going to overcome these disastrous years of Joe Biden, and we're a great country, resilient, and we're going to make good things happen, regardless of the challenges we've been facing. Which seat did you guys pick up in New Jersey? Well, there was a guy, Tom Malinowski, who was the incumbent in CD7, which is a very gerrymandered district that goes all the way from the Newark Bay up to the Pennsylvania, New York, uh, New Jersey border, a crazy race. And Tom Kane Jr., our former governor's son, who's been a was a Senate leader, a Senate Republican leader for many years, who lost by one percent two years ago, uh, defeated Tom Malinowski fairly solidly this time. Tom's going to be a very good member of our congressional delegation, be a leader for our tri-state issues, very supportive of collaborative work between New York, New Jersey, the Port Authority, improving our mass transit issues and, and some of the infrastructure issues that we need so badly in New York and New Jersey. Tell me which races you were disappointed in. We have three other races where we four other races we had a decent shot because, you know, in going into 2018, the 12 congressional districts in New York was split six Republicans, six Democrats. We went all the way down in 18 to 11 to 1 and got destroyed uh, in President Trump's midterms uh, as he's very unpopular and remains very unpopular in New Jersey and did hurt us again this year. But uh, we went to 11 to 1, and then Jeff Andrew switched from being a Democrat to Republican 10 to 2, Chris Smith and Jeff Andrew. And then this year we added 1 to go back to 9 to 3. A fairer map would have had us. We, we captured 46 percent of the vote and, and Democrats, 54 percent. 
yet we only got 25% of the seats. So it shows you how bad a map it was. But despite that, we picked up a seat, and we get help to ensure that we have that Kevin McCarthy as a speaker and, and put Nancy Pelosi into retirement. She was a great lady at one time when I knew her then, but uh, she has different opinions than I have right now. So, Mr. Bob Hogan, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, let's keep America, America, and we'll catch up with you again soon. With us today is my good friend, Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And I enjoy talking to him every weekend because I love to look up at the sky and wonder what's really going on up there. Whoever our creator is, I think we have a special planet, Dr. Sky. Uh, yeah, we do. We have a special planet with oceans and, and life. Well, John, you know, that brings up the mystery of the week. And I know everybody, you know, I get the, you know, people tell me they enjoy that part of the show, too, with you. But here it is. Planets beyond the solar system are called exoplanets, meaning they're around other stars. But how about this? A star system called TRAPPIST-1. It's a small planetary group of seven planets, 39 light years away. But what makes this even more impacting to your statement about, you know, this Earth is a special place is that there's seven little planets in what they call a habitable zone, meaning that life could exist there. Normally, we find planetary objects around powerful stars like the sun and larger. How about this? These objects are around these little red dwarf stars, so astronomers are going to be searching more red dwarfs. So the point is, maybe life, if it does exist out there, is not around these big stars like the sun and bigger. The mystery is, how could life even be possible, or these little planetary objects that could thrive in life, in such a dimly lit area. So we are a very special place in the universe. Haven't found another Earth, right? We haven't seen one like this yet. Yes, exactly. So our, our creator created us in his, his or, or, or it or her image. And, yes. um, you know, God bless. I mean, um, somewhere out there, our creator probably exists. Absolutely, John, and it's so amazing because we're discovering more of these little planetary objects, and I'd be naive, like a lot of people out there would probably agree with me, like yourself. How could we be the only place in this vast universe where there's anything like life like we call it? So the, you know, the beat goes on. But, you know, here, let's go back to space for a moment because, John, so many people are concerned about or interested in the Artemis One moon rocket launch. Once again, we report to your audience and this radio show, that the launch, maybe not NASA's fault at all, is now being postponed from the 14th of November to the 16th because of Tropical Storm Nicole. They want to make sure that everything is right. And on board the International Space Station, another of these amazing Northrop Grumman Cygnus resupply crafts has now moved up and you know resupplied the ISS because it has 8,000 pounds of material that supports life, food, all kinds of things, medicines, everything that they need up there. And this flight is called NG-18. It's named in honor of Sally Ride, the first American female astronaut to go to space. But the point is, we continue to move out into space. The Chinese are building their space station, maybe even larger in the future than ours. So obviously, as Stephen Hawking said, we really need to get off the planet Earth and explore the universe, obviously, for the reasons that we could go on forever. But space is like in our DNA, right? Exploration. So that's what we talk about, and we love it. We close always, John, with the live sky and what people can actually see. And I know that many people out there got to see that total lunar eclipse. I know I sent you a picture. That was a pretty It was pretty beautiful, beautiful. Oh, it's amazing. And we won't have another one of those in the United States until March 14th of 2025. But what can people see? Get ready for a meteor shower on the 19th. We can talk about it next week called the Leonids. And obviously, fireball season continues. So if you're out there in the evening or early morning with patience, that's what you need, patience, you may see some space debris 
that lights up the sky. Lucky people who see him. So that's really what's happening this week, John, and lots of exciting things to come. I look forward to you, talking to you again, and God bless you, and have a great rest of the weekend. Thank you. Thank you, John. Appreciate your time. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep a pauper and wake up a millionaire. Only in America. With us today is uh, Dick Morris, uh, one of the smartest strategists I know. He was a strategist for uh, President Bill Clinton. He was a strategist for President Donald Trump. And a lot of things have happened since last Sunday. Uh, the election, red wave, well, maybe not. Uh, Dick Morris, tell us what the heck is going on. Yeah, well, we, we apparently have won the House. Uh, we'll, we're waiting for the last three districts, but it's looking good. Uh, which one is that? The House of Representatives. Oh, yes, that is looking good. Uh, yeah. But uh, well, now, the, the Senate... Senate Ahead. Well, the Senate, it's hard to tell because um, I think we'll probably lose the Senate. But, you know, Laxalt of Nevada was ahead and now he's dropping. I have a different take on all of this. I don't give a damn about the Senate at this point as long as we have the House. Because when you think about it, we won't be able to, even if we had the Senate, we would not be able to pass legislation uh, because Trump, Biden would veto it. And uh, he can't pass any legislation because the House won't pass it. So we can stop him from spending. We can stop him from taxing. We can stop him from most of his over-regulating by having the House. It doesn't matter if we have the Senate, too. One House is enough to kill it. The major purpose in controlling the legislative body as we look ahead to the 24 election is hearings, is the ability to get to the bottom of and unearth the Hunter Biden stuff, uh, Joe Biden's relationship with the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the whole politicization of the FBI and the Justice Department, the crossfire hurricane investigation about the phony dossier that had the country up in arms for two years. And those are all issues that have got to be investigated. And the House can do that as easily as the Senate, in fact, better, because Jim Jordan, the chairman of that committee, is better than whoever would be his Senate counterpart. And, um, you, you know, you only need one gavel. You don't need two gavels. One committee is fine to go into this. So I'm a lot less concerned about winning a second house than I am about having won the first. To me, the key fight was to win the house, which I think we've done. And if we win the Senate, that's so much extra. But I don't think it's really that important. Not when you don't have the presidency. Tell us, why did the red wave not happen? Well, a very big reason is that Republicans didn't put up any money. All of those people you talk to say the fate of our nation is at stake and all that. They didn't reach into their wallets enough. Uh, the Republican, the Democrats spent $395 million on Senate races, and the Republicans spent 195 and, uh, you know, why didn't we win in New Hampshire? Well, Hassan, the incumbent Democrat, spent $26 million, and Bulldog, the Republican challenger, spent all of $2 million. Uh, why didn't we win in Pennsylvania? Well, Fetterman uh, spent $68 million, and Oz spent 35 And uh, why didn't we win in 
in, in any of these states, you find a two to one margin against us in campaign spending. And I believe that ultimately that was the key factor that you just had, the Republicans just did not put up the money. Uh, the the uh, information age, high-tech tycoons from Seattle wallpapered this race with their checks and enabled the radical Democrats to win and to survive. But our guys didn't come through, not large donors and not small donors. The second thing is that on your show and a bunch of shows, I've been, I've been talking about the importance of early voting uh, in my book, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback. Uh, I say that early voting is the key, and Republicans just didn't vote early. Uh, why did Fetterman lose to, uh, why did Oz lose to Fetterman? Well, on election day, when the polls opened, Fetterman had 700,000 early votes, and Oz had 100,000. Uh, Zeldin similarly was outgunned by Hochul in early votes. And you just can't sit back and let Democrats vote all during October and the first week of November and think you're going to make it all up on Election Day. We probably lost hundreds of thousands of votes of people who planned to vote, but they got sick or they had to be with their kids or, you know, they, uh, the, 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 the day the hours just went by. And uh, we lost those votes. And if you're a Democrat, you can always say, well, there's always tomorrow because it's not yet election day. But Republicans waited until election day. And at that point, there is no tomorrow. And then the third factor is that Republicans were knifed in the back by their own majority leader, Mitch McConnell. Some of the uh, uh, people are complaining that the people that uh, uh, President Trump uh, uh, supported uh, that he didn't give him uh, enough money either. And a lot of people are complaining right. about Mitch McConnell too, that he didn't give them enough money. So yeah, everybody's job. complaining. Yeah, but it's McConnell's job. It's not Trump's. McConnell collected this money under the pretension that it was going to go for Senate Republican Senate candidates. And he ends up underfunding anybody that, did, that wouldn't support him for leader. Uh, he underfunded Oz, Vance, uh, Bud in North Carolina, Masters in Arizona. Talk Johnson to me about Thompson. talk to me about Oz. He, a, what he the heck happened there? Hang, hang on a second. He underfunded yeah. all of those races uh, because they wouldn't be loyal to him for majority leader. What happened with Oz? What happened with Oz is that he was outspent by thirty million bucks. Uh, the other side spent sixty-eight, and he spent thirty-eight. Um, what do you think's going to happen when there's that kind of ratio? And then the early voting, the Democrats knew they had a flawed candidate who was disabled. So they racked up the early votes that came in before the debate. When that debate started, Fetterman had half a million votes already in the bank. And uh, with that kind of early voting and that kind of financial disadvantage, uh, it's amazing that we won the House seats we did. And uh, he's you're going to be on at noontime today on uh, yeah. on uh, Sunday uh, between 12 and 1 on WABC. What are you going to talk uh, about? Are you going to further this well, discussion? I'll, I'll, I'll be continuing the rant that I'm on right now. OK, I'll <laughs> okay. be listening. Uh, Dick That's Morris, uh, WABC Radio dot com, <laughs> 770 on your dial at 12 noon on Sunday. Make sure you listen to find out the rest of the story. 
What happened to the red wave? Thank you, Dick Morris. With us today is Lou Dobbs, a financial expert, a WABC uh, uh, correspondent, and uh, one smart guy. Uh, Lou Dobbs, tell us, this is five days after the election. What the hell happened uh, And uh, with the red wave that never happened? And uh, what's your evaluation, how that's going to affect the markets? Well, the effect so far, John, uh, and it's great to be with you. Uh, the effect so far has been absolutely uh, terrific uh, if you're long the market. Uh, this has, and we have had quite a walk up to this point to watch the S&P just uh, explode here uh, as have the other indexes uh, is really, I think, something that most of the so-called experts would have said was impossible, uh, say, at the end of the third quarter, uh, back at the end of September. Uh, because the S&P had been battered. We just went through one of the worst Septembers in market history. Uh, and here we are uh, on a uh, on a trajectory uh, that defies both imagination and uh, a little bit of history, I'll admit, uh, perhaps even reality itself. But I think you have to take into account that a, a, a balanced or, if you will, gridlocked uh, Congress is something that uh, is something that investors really like. Uh, and and to have some check on President Biden uh, is also something that they're su- supremely thrilled with. Everybody was surprised that the markets soared. What would you attribute that to? Most investors are looking for at least some check on a government that is spending money at an unprecedented rate uh, and has every intention of continuing that trend. Uh, they've been blocked by federal courts now in terms of the student loan uh, forgiveness program. Uh, one district court judge noting that no one had voted uh, on the uh, on the matter, uh, which is an encouraging sign. But uh, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is uh, that the uh, the election itself was looked upon as an opportunity to reach some sort of balance on Capitol Hill uh, as well. Uh, we have more balance, I think, than a lot of people uh, bargain for. Uh, the Senate is, uh, is right now, it looks like it's going to be dead even again. Uh, perhaps the Democrats will retain uh, control, but the Republicans seem assured of control, at least, uh, of the House of Representatives. Uh, and we're at an age now where any kind of check on government power is seen as a boon by most investors. I'm familiar with a few banks making a ton of money. The differential uh, between the interest rate that they're paying and the, uh, what they're collecting now. Banking is a very good business right now in this period of ascending interest rates. Uh, it's, uh, it's a chokehold on uh, small business in particular uh, and will have some effect uh, within a matter, I believe, of a few months on unemployment it's, uh, in this country. Uh, and I hope that the Fed can come to terms with these markets on a basis that's somewhat more realistic than these uh, 75 basis point uh, hammerings right now to to the economy. Uh, Jerome Powell, in my opinion, uh, has been a man who is uh, who's always wanted to lead the markets rather than follow them, and that's always a mistake on the part of the Fed. Uh, Paul Volcker uh, acknowledged that, but he also uh, brought the hammer. Uh, This this, uh, Fed right now is just out of pace. It talked about uh, transitory inflation for a year when it was far from transitory. Uh, They now are hammering rates while they keep a balance sheet uh, that still is approaching $9 trillion. Their uh, idea 
of economic policy right now is just startling to to, to consider. Uh, this is uh, an administration, and I'm not speaking here as a partisan. Uh, every administration makes mistakes on fiscal policy, with no question about it. But this one is setting new <laughs> new records uh, in almost every direction, uh, whether it's shutting down energy, whether it is uh, driving spending, whether it's uh, inflation reduction that is uh, actually an inflation multiplier, uh, whether it's student loan forgiveness uh, that is just you know absolutely anti-democratic and, uncon- and unconstitutional, in my opinion, and, and a few federal judges happen to agree on this issue, uh, that this president doesn't have that kind of authority. He wants to spend money. He spent uh, $6 trillion in quick order. Uh, he took away the border, 6 million illegal immigrants into the country. Uh, that uh, That's going to have uh, a significant impact on federal spending because guess who's paying for uh, all of that uh, distribution of uh, uh, illegal labor, uh, their shelter, uh, their, their upkeep? Uh, it, it's the federal taxpayer. Uh, and this is baked in. Uh, and will go on for, in some cases, as long as five years based on already uh, authorized uh, budgets. Lou Dobbs, I'm concerned for our country, but I want to thank you for coming on and giving your concerns to the American people. And let's catch up again real soon. I look forward to it, John. Thanks so much. Thank you. You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers interviewed by New York's first citizen. It's the Cats Roundtable. All right. And now on the line with us, a congressman-elect, Nick Langworthy. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's I heard you only won by 30 points. That's it? I, I only got 67 percent of the vote. <laughs> uh, we're very, very honored to be representing the Southern Tier in Erie County and Congress in the year ahead and be part of what will be uh, – a Republican majority with a big, a huge delegation from New York, the biggest in 20 years that the Republicans have sent to Congress. Well, between New York and, and Florida, you guys are the whole increase of the whole Congress. What happened to the rest of the country? You know, there's a, a, a lot that's happened uh, uh, in, in these elections. I mean, I don't think maybe uh, the pollsters should be too confident in, in their own industry. Uh, because there's a whole lot of polls that were wrong out there across the country. But, you know, it's um, it may not have been a tidal wave, but we had a good red wave here in New York, um, you know, winning every seat on Long Island, winning, you know, two of the three seats in the Hudson Valley. We held a, uh, a really tough seat in Syracuse. Uh, and, you know, electing 11 members, it's a big task. So, um, it wouldn't have been possible without Ed Cox and John Faso and the team that put together the redistricting lawsuit. And we took on the Democrats when they tried to steal power. Now, that's absolutely correct, uh, Mr. Chairman. I, I want to say to you, I have been looking for the Republican wave, and I could only find it in Florida and in New York. Everywhere else, I couldn't find it. What do you say to that? Well, there was a DeSantis wave in Florida, that's for sure. I mean, freedom uh, freedom was on the ballot, and people were we're signing up. Uh, I mean, the fact that he won by a million and a half votes, that had to have tremendous uh, uh, down ballot uh, implications and help uh, elect a lot of Republicans. But I got to I got to take my hat off to uh, uh, the man that made us very proud, Lee Zeldin, because his candidacy and the issues that he took on in the campaign that he ran across New York, uh, taking that campaign to every corner of the state, that gave uh, all of our down ballot candidates so much strength and support. Uh, he drew he drew out a massive vote across the state. I mean, the fact that the Republican nominee 
you know, got over 47 uh, percent of the vote is massive. And uh, there's only really 300,000 votes and 350,000 uh, New Yorkers fled oh. to Florida. Let's get down to the bottom of it. Who's going to be? Are you going to maintain the chairmanship of the uh, New York State uh, Republican Party, or are there p- people that are going to be nominated to come in that position? Well, I think we'll have an orderly transition early early next year. I'll step aside, you know, probably shortly after getting sworn into Congress. I mean, we have to let the dust settle on this election. We're only a few days removed, and you know, it, it is next year is a local election year, but we have to get ready for the presidential year. I don't think I have enough bandwidth in my life. We just had uh, another child. Uh, we, we we brought a, a little boy uh, home. Thank you. Uh, little Oliver uh, was born on the 12th of October, and uh, I have a very patient wife, uh, but I don't think uh, they're adding any more hours to my day. So I, I, I don't think it would be a, doing a, a service uh, to anybody for me to try to overextend, and uh, we'll put together a transition you know, period. And you're not ready to talk about the leading candidates yet? I don't think we're there yet. I mean, I think it, you got to see who comes forward and uh, really, you know, look at the record in, in what people Understood. bring to the table. I mean, Nick Langworthy, thank you. Sure. Congratulations, uh, Congressman-elect Nick Langworthy. Governor Andrew Cuomo, welcome back to Cats at Night. Lydia, I called to collect. Is that the reason Ed Cox is not in the studio today? That's right. That is exactly oh. right. He didn't oh. want to show up. Only, <laughs> Lydia, only Lydia and I had the courage to confront the he governor. He called it. He said five points. He, he did say he five points. He said five points, Hochul. You were the only one that was right on the money, so, so the let price the record right. reflect that we do indeed owe the governor lunch. It's a lot closer, but who knows? And let's just be on uh, the specifics matter here. It was not lunch. It was dinner. Oh. Yes. I have two separate dinners, Cox and the judge. Those are two separate dinners. And I think I mentioned a, a bottle of 1999 Barolo. <laughs> <laughs> so, Governor Patterson, you'll come in Governor, I'm uh, thinking about the Zeldin campaign, and if you looked at where it was in the beginning of the year and where he wound up, he certainly uh, gave a great effort, and he assisted other Republicans who won a number of seats that no one expected they could win. But I thought that once Zeldin seemed to pull even with Governor Hochul, and there were polls, a couple of polls even showing him a point ahead of her, that he didn't grow as a candidate. He just continued to say the same things. And there were issues he never touched, like in his own area in Suffolk and Nassau County. There's a big problem with seniors now who can't afford to live in their own homes. In other words, because of inflation, they've retired. They're not getting the pensions that they uh, that can sustain living in a home. And there were a million issues he could have touched, but he just kept saying the same thing. And I think at, there's a point that the public gets tired of it. Yeah, no, I'm, I think you're exactly right, Gov. Uh, I'm with you. Let me make a couple of uh, points before. One, look, there was a a dissatisfaction with Democrats. It was true nationwide, and it was especially true in this state. Taxes are a problem. Um, I didn't really get much of an affirmative message from the Democrats about what they were going to do. It was just that they were not Zeldin. So there was a dissatisfaction with Democrats. Second, there wasn't a red wave, but there was a crime wave. And oh, Patterson, very good. You talking about this uh, and you saw the crime wave hit New York City sat on its hands. The turnout in New York City was about 10 points 
below what it should have been. Uh, and on Long Island, they didn't sit on their hands. They revolted, right, on the issue of crime. And why the Democrats, which I am still bewildered by, why they were so tongue-tied on the issue of crime, I just don't understand. And uh, you had election deniers, but the Democrats were crime deniers, and they just didn't speak to the issue. For Zeldin, who was had the abortion issue against him, had marriage equality against him, had guns against him, he's an election denier, uh, <laughs> it was virtually impossible for him to win. But And I agree with you, Governor Patterson, he only spoke about crime. He didn't even talk about taxes. If he had talked about anything else, property taxes, Gov, which you know uh, cut all across the state. And by the way, the Democrats never even repealed the SALT tax, which they had all promised. But he was a one-issue candidate on crime. And in the parts of the state where crime isn't really a pressing issue, uh, he didn't resonate. But to come within five points, uh, that's the closest race since George Pataki. I mean, so that is a real wake-up call. And it did cause Democrats. It cost Democrats precious congressional seats. And that was 28 years ago. Yes. I mean, it was. And George Pataki was a moderate. Uh, I don't think he was pro-choice, but he was close to pro-choice. I forget how he worded it. Zeldin was a rabid pro-lifer, always. Uh, you remember him from the, from the Albany days, Gov. Yeah. Uh, and he's on the wrong side of marriage equality and he's on the wrong side of guns. I think in 2022, and, he voted for marriage equality, though. I think while he was in the assembly, he didn't. But then in 20, when he became a congressman, he voted for marriage equality, right. I, I believe. That's right. He mixed. Yeah, I think he mixed. changed his mind. It right. was mixed. But where, where would they he have voted for it if he was in Congress? Because I, I they didn't. Wait. No, no, the report, no, the, David, the reporting was that there was a congressional what the. Whether it was a resolution, whether it's a piece of legislation, I don't know. But he voted. That's the reporting was that he voted for marriage equality when he was in Congress. Okay. Yeah, but Judge, the governor's right. There was no vote. It, the Supreme Court determined that marriage equality right. uh, was was uh, nationally recognized. Uh, but New York State, we were the first big state to pass marriage equality. So, and marriage equality, by the way, is now seventy percent nationwide. So he is a real rabid conservative. And for him to come within five points, I guess it uh, governor, I guess it really shows what you said, which is that there was a crime wave and the crime wave isn't always just the number of crimes because it still uh, lags a little bit behind where it was 30 years ago. But it's also the fear of crime and the fact that we see the crimes on TV now. We've seen all three of those people get thrown on the subway tracks in the last few weeks. They were all televised. And look, somebody said it this morning. I think Reverend Sharpton was saying it. For the Democrats to say to people who say, I'm afraid of crime, the Democrats say, well, you have no reason to be afraid. You know, you can't deny a person's emotion and say, well, if you read the statistics, uh, blah, 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 blah. What do you mean? I'm afraid they're going to throw me on the tracks. I'm afraid to walk down the street. Uh, you hear people talking about old timers like me saying it's it's almost as bad as it was in the 80s and the 90s. You know, it's a real problem. And I don't get why the Democrats can't admit it? I just don't get it. I think they're afraid of the far left who won't let you say 
the four-letter word. And the four-letter word they won't let you say is J-A-I-L. <laughs> and the truth is some people are dangerous, and for society to be safe, they have to be put in jail. We have the most progressive criminal justice policies in the nation, but still some people have to be in jail for a period of time to keep people safe. And the left intimidates, and Governor Patterson saw this firsthand, the far left on the Democratic Party is the tail that wags the donkey, and the moderates are afraid of the left, and they don't want to say anything that's going to cause them any heartburn. And they ran around saying, what crime problem? What crime? I don't see a crime and, problem. And, Governor, we've seen it even as the election ends now that the uh, far left part of the party is attacking Mayor Adams for just pointing out everything that you just said. Mayor Adams runs as a police, former police officer to clean up the city. Uh, that was his whole campaign. That's why he's elected. And the far left is saying he played into the Republicans' hands. That's what I mean, CNN said. Governor Cuomo, we have to wrap. I'm sorry, because we have to go to a break. Quick question. I, I had some video today that I took myself of subway riders, none of whom paid the fare. Four cops were nearby watching it all go down. And yet... Governor Hochul has approved this congestion tax at $23 a day. Why should we New Yorkers have to pay a tax to make up for an MTA shortfall that could easily be made up if people just paid the fare? Lydia, it is crime. You need more police. And by the way, you need police who police. And the police don't police anymore because you have district attorneys who say, I'm not going to charge that case. And you so, have police officers that are scared to do the arrest. Exactly right. Or they're, they're scared to do it, John, because if they get caught on a video, uh, then they can have a problem uh, if they do anything wrong. And why should I arrest this guy when the DA is not going to prosecute anyway? And the so judge can't have- hold them in because it's not bail eligible. That's right. Well, Governor, just run up that bill on Weinberg and Cox. I'm going to enjoy hearing about this lunch when it's over. Well, I think I got a guest who also that we talked about, and and you're my guest, Governor Patterson. So, oh, let's now I'm really ready. We can have that dinner tonight, and I'll be there to take video of all of this. Okay, thank you, Governor Cuomo, and uh, thank you for coming on and keeping the uh, uh, people of New York and, and uh, well, we're on the whole East Coast right now, so keeping them informed. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Have Thank you. Day. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.